All right. Good morning. I don't know about y'all, but one of the highlights for me of that we've had so far was when Sally was up here and going back and forth with the music. That just really uh, was special. So this morning I got up and tried to work on a fake British accent so that I would sound smart. And I actually sounded dumber than my normal Texas accent. (laughs) So I'm not even going to try. I am from Texas, grew up in a place called Wichita Falls, Texas. Anybody familiar with Wichita Falls, Texas? A couple of people. Wow, that's surprising. There's really no reason to be familiar with Wichita Falls, Texas. I grew up there, a wonderful place to grow up. And um, my dad was kind of one of the main bankers in town. And when you're a banker, back in those days, you were also a business consultant. And you were basically in every business that every one of your clients was in. So he was in the oil and gas business. He was a politician as well. And one of the things that he told me is that uh, speaking in public is kind of like drilling for oil. If you don't strike something interesting pretty quickly, you need to stop boring. <laughs> Are you all ready to go this morning? Uh, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to really talk about two things, really, planning and progeny. And progeny is a really big word, and it just means those that are going to come behind us. Uh, especially in this context, those that are going to come behind us, who we might entrust with wealth, okay? So you may be a grandparent, you may be parents, you may be an aunt or an uncle. Uh, you may just have friends that you're thinking about blessing with uh, inheritance. Just when, I, when we think progeny, that's what I want you to think of. Um, and um, I want to start off by telling you a story about a couple uh, named Charlie and Margie. And by the way, you have some notes on the table. You want to grab this handout right here, um, because there are some blanks that you will be required to fill in. And, um, but uh, Charlie and Marjorie were from the Southeast, and um, they together had a business that uh, started to really flourish, and uh, had a couple of years where it grew significantly, and one of Charlie's competitors offered to buy their business for $18 million dollars which was way beyond what Charlie and Margie ever thought that they might experience. And, um, but they went to their financial advisor to talk about what do we do about this, and um, their financial advisor basically told them that they had accumulated enough wealth that they really could give it all away if they wanted to. And that kind of surprised them. And so what they decided to do was what they called the 14-4, and they decided that they were going to give away a part of the business worth $14 million dollars, and they were going to retain $4 million, one for the, each of them and one for each of their three children. And they called a family meeting of their three kids. Now, Charlie and Margie, Southern Baptists all the way through. Their kids were great kids. They were all married. Each of their kids had, I'd say, teenage kids probably at this point. Um, they were good kids, productive kids. All of them were doing very well. They brought the family together to tell the kids that they were going to give each of them a million dollars, and then together they were going to give away $14 million as a family. And the response that they got from their children rocked their world. The first response was just silence. They just looked at their parents. And after a little bit of a conversation, they came to realize that there were some really unmet expectations that were happening inside their family. And the kids really felt like it was a family business. And that they were giving away their inheritance. 
and it really, really was a difficult situation. So we want to talk about a few things with regards to planning, with regards to kids, grandkids, anybody that you might want to pass on wealth to. And I will tell you, Charlie and Margie were very, they were thinking well. Uh, the reason that they were going to give each of their kids a million dollars is because the two of them, they, they were two things that they hated. They hated taxes and they hated debt. Um, and so they thought if we give each of our kids a million dollars, we can, we can, um, get all of our grandkids through college debt-free, and our children could own a home debt-free. That was kind of their big goal, and it just fell on its face. So let's talk a little bit about planning and a little bit about progeny, and hopefully there's some principles. This is going to be kind of like a workshop, so get ready to write. Um, we're going to have some table discussions as well, and uh, hopefully it'll be a lot of fun. So the first thing, go ahead and open your notes, because there's a blank right at the very beginning. There's three keys to planning that I just want to mention. The first one is, is that planning really isn't about money. Um, earlier we heard somebody mention that if you could look at someone's calendar in their checkbook, you could really know a lot about them. Uh, and so there's a lot of heart-related issues. That was clearly what happened in the meeting, that family meeting with Charlie and Margie. The second thing is, is that we know that people that are well-planned give more, and they give more wisely, and they even experience more joy in giving. Um, unintentional and... Uh, reactive um, giving of both wealth to children or even wealth to charity. If it's not well planned, it just doesn't produce much joy. We've actually heard that in one of the testimonies this morning or yesterday. And the last thing is finish lines, and I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, but it's an important concept uh, that we need to wrestle with. But first, I want to encourage you as families to process these two things. What are the values that your family holds dear? If this is something that you don't understand, it'll really make your planning go off, off base. It'll be askew. I encourage families to take a poll to uh, kind of like a double-blind test. So ask everyone in your immediate family to write down two or three values that you think your family already expresses. It's not what you want to have as a, a value in your family, but what are the current values in your family? And then gather together, put them, up, put them on a sheet of paper or on a board, don't say who they're from, and then just talk about it. Uh, and just try to see if you can whittle this list down. You may be very surprised that it, there's a real common theme that happens. And it's really powerful when that occurs. The next thing I do is I encourage families to have a mission and really a vision statement as well. And the, here's just a format. You know, a vision for a family is something that could be or should be that's not yet. Okay? When Liz and Connor were up here, you could hear how powerful their vision and their mission for their life and their giving was. I mean, it was a very emotional thing to them. It's driving lots of things that go on in their life. And they were the, they were the testimony of this slide right here. So I encourage you to take a little time and think through this. And also, do it as a family. Don't come down from on high and say, this, these are our values, this is our vision and mission for our family. Gather your family together and have this conversation. It's very exciting to do. With regards to planning, here is the definition of estate planning. It is the orderly distribution of one's wealth into fees and commissions. Sadly, there's a little truth to that, um, so it's not a real enjoyable process that uh, folks go through, but it is a necessary process. A um, couple of things, and we're, we're now on the second section of your notes. Beware of the tax tail wagging the dog. 
okay? A lot of advisors, the tax tail is what really determines what planning happens. So I just want to caution you, just, just don't let that happen to you. Um, speaking of the tax tail, um, we have folks from Connecticut that are here. Let's see, yeah? Well, the first day of the conference uh, was tax-free day for the people in Connecticut. You paid everything you earned up to Friday, you'd paid in taxes to the government. Congratulations. Now, if you lived in Alaska, it happened 30 days ago because the tax burden is that different in Alaska. And sadly, if you're from New York, and I know there are some New Yorkers that are here, you still got two more weeks before you actually start earning anything this year. So, but, so taxes are important, and we want to minimize those, um, but don't let them wag the dog. And secondly, wealth transfer planning is a process. It's not a point in time, and so it's something that you keep doing. If you've had a significant life event and you haven't been involved in, in the planning process, then you might have some things that are out of whack with your plan. So now we're going to have our first table exercise. So grab something to write with, um, and just down in the corner of your notes, I want you to write down the names of every one of your advisors, just first name. So that might be an insurance person, a CPA, a lawyer, um, a financial planner, investment management person. Some folks have lots of these. So after you've written these names down, I want you to underline the ones that really give you counsel, that really give you advice. So not, there are some advisors that just sell us things, like folks that often sell insurance, they just sell you insurance, they're not giving you a lot of advice, but that's not true for all. So just those that give you counsel, I want you to underline those names. And then I want you to circle the ones that you underlined who you know are like-minded believers. And I have a challenge for you. If you have any advisor that is giving you counsel, that is not a like-minded believer, you are at risk. Anybody that gives us counsel um, leads us places. And every financial decision is a spiritual decision. So it's very risky to have advisors that are not like-minded. Eventually, I promise you, because I am an advisor in my past, um, I can take you places where I think you ought to go as an advisor. I just, I have that ability to do that. And so you really, really want your key advisors that give you counsel to be like-minded. It's, it's vitally important. Let's just talk a second about finish lines. And finish lines can kind of get wonky. People think they're, you know, a little over the top. But I just want you to think of finish lines as a budget, so we have two kinds of finish lines in our lives. One of them we typically think of as an annual finish line that we probably watch on a monthly basis. And it's an income statement finish line, right? So we have the three primary things that we can do with the money that we have. We can give it, we can save it, and we can spend it. There really aren't a lot more options than that. There's lots of different ways you can give, save, and spend, but those are the three biggies. In fact, my wife and I, that's how our budget is reflected. We have give section, save section, spend section. And we call it, we have those headings in our budget. But you can also have a balance statement finish line. And that's your net worth. Everybody should think through at what point will we have enough from a balance sheet standpoint? How much, and if you, if you don't process through this, I, I'm almost going to assure you that you will over accumulate 
It's an, it just it, it naturally happens for people that are in the United States of America that have disposable income that are building wealth. If they don't set a finish line of their balance sheet, they will overaccumulate. It just happens. And we've, we even heard that story um, from one of the testimonies that was here. Um, the dolls just, they weren't doing anything wrong. They just overaccumulated. It just happened. And then they looked back and thought, oh, my goodness gracious, we've overaccumulated. So take some time and process this finish line, these two finish lines. And keep in mind that these decisions will drive what you do with excess wealth, okay? And Tim was really good about talking about what we should be doing with our wealth. And if we don't have a grip on this, we're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities. And remember, life is short. Eternity is long. And what we do with what we have in this life matters forever, so we really ought to be thinking through these things. Here's just one more thing I want you to think about. There's three, three questions, three areas uh, as we're doing planning. And they are the why, the what, and the how. And on your table is a little booklet um, called Developing a Family Stewardship Philosophy or something like that. And it's just a tool that has some questions in it, some scripture passages that can help you just think through these things. It's a little bit of a guide. Um, but the why question, why do I possess what I possess, is the foundational question in the planning process. It's the most important question. Only after really understanding that can you answer the what should be my objectives question. And then finally, well, how do I accomplish these things? Most advisors invert the pyramid. The how is the foundational question that they answer. That's where their expertise is, by the way. Advisors' expertise is in the how. Most of them, uh, but there are some advisors that will take you through all three of these processes. So I would encourage you to take some time, use that tool, engage your like-minded advisors, and process through these things. All right, now let's talk about progeny, okay? For most people in here, you're going to be thinking about your kids and grandkids. For some, you may be thinking about nieces and nephews. Uh, for others, it could be close friends. Um, I have a sister, for example, who's married but doesn't have children. She actually has a much more difficult time processing this than I do because she has 15 nieces and nephews. I only have seven kids. Piece of cake for me. Okay. <clears throat> it really is a challenge for her because her nieces and nephews are all over the spectrum of relationship and needs and all this. It's, it's pretty complicated for her. But this will work for her just like it will work for a, a typical nuclear family. So I just encourage you to, and every once in a while I may have the wrong words in here because I usually think in terms of kids and grandkids, but uh, this is about all of our progeny. Number one, God's word. Those are blanks, by the way, if you're, if you're taking notes. This passage of scripture is basically going to inform everything else I say until I'm done this morning. And I'm going to read it out loud because it's that important. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter, but the advantage of wisdom is this. Wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. So I want to make sure that you hear, don't hear me say that generational wealth transfer is a bad thing. If I said that, I would not be, it would not be true. It says right here that that's not a bad thing. 
But I, you will hear me say that wisdom without wealth is extremely dangerous. Uh, it's like fire. You know, if, as long as the fire is in the fireplace, it does great things. It can bring light. It can bring warmth. It can bring community. But you take that fire and you put it in your lap, and it is in the wrong place, and it will hurt you. And, and wealth is just like that. All right, here we go. Number two, there are three forms of transferable capital. This is just one paradigm to process this. The first one is spiritual capital, and that really is just the core of the gospel itself. Um, just making sure that you, as a believer, pass on the gospel to those that you would ever think about passing on anything else. Next is character capital. And character capital are those things that when, when, when your niece, your nephew, your child exhibits these, you go, yeah, this is good. It's, uh, it is wisdom, it's perseverance, it's discernment, it's patience. It's all those things, uh, character capital. And then finally, financial capital. And the size of these circles is important because spiritual capital is without question the most important thing you can pass on. But we usually don't think about that very often. Character capital is the next most important thing that we can pass on. And financial capital is the least important thing that we can pass on. So I'm going to take a little pause here. And I want you to raise your hand if you are a grandparent. Or frankly, an aunt or uncle. And that might cover just about everybody. So I got seven kids, all right? So one of the problems that I have because I have seven kids is that I have to tell them no. And I have to discipline them. Four of our kids are out of the house, but we have three teenage boys under our roof right now. I, I, f I feel the moan that came. Um, <clears throat> so there's a lot of wrestling that we do in our household. <laughs> Literal wrestling and then every kind of wrestling you could imagine. But my parents never have to wrestle with my kids. Never. In fact, my kids listen to my parents far more than they listen to me, for sure. Sometimes I wonder if my kids ever listen to me. Um, but when my dad or my mom talk in a meaningful way to my children, they just believe everything they say. Um, and it's good that they always speak truth to my kids, but they buy it, everything. So grandparents, you have an opportunity, or aunts and uncles maybe, you have an opportunity to pass on spiritual capital in a way that parents can't do it. They just can't. So I will challenge you that if you have this situation in where you can pass on this kind of spiritual capital, I challenge you by the end of this year, I don't want you to have a single grandkid that doesn't know your testimony, that doesn't know your story, your journey of faith. Um, it, it, it could completely transform the trajectory of your grandchild's life or maybe a niece or nephew's life. It's that big of a deal. Okay, that was a little convicting, so let's, let's go back to the easy stuff. We're gonna do a table conversation again. This one's gonna be even more involved. We're actually gonna turn your chairs around and have a conversation at your table. We heard a little bit about this from Tim Keller. Did you hear when he talked about when we scatter our wealth and when we plant it, it comes back in a different form? Do you remember him talking about that? Well, this is what we're going to talk about around our table because financial capital, you can use it to build spiritual and character capital in those that are coming behind you, okay? 
So turn around to your table, pick a table leader. There's a pad, a notepad. I would love for you to jot down a few ideas that you come with on your, at your table. How can you use financial capital to build spiritual and character capital in those that are going to come behind you? Take a couple of minutes and process this together. All right, let's bring it in. This is a very lively table up here, very lively conversation going on. Now, I asked you to focus on those that would come behind you, but here's an amazing statistic for you of how you can use your financial capital to build spiritual and character capital in others. Did you know that about one in three people in this room had their way paid by someone else to come here as a gift? That is an example of how you use your financial capital to build into others, okay? We have way too many people in this room to start sharing examples. Um, so I'm going to share just one from the past. Um, and um, it's an example with Jack and Sherry. Jack and Sherry now are both in their 80s, and they now have great-grandchildren. But uh, one of the things that, they, and I'm not sure if they still do this because they have so many people that have come behind them. But when they started to have grandchildren, they went to each of their grandchildren when they were probably about six years old, and they told them that they would sponsor a compassion child in the name of their grandchild if their grandchild would write letters to the child and send a copy to them so they could read the letters. All of the grandkids took them up on this. And then when the kids got a little bit older, they said, now we're going to split the cost with you. You, $15 from you, $15 from us, and we're going to sponsor this child. You got to keep writing the letters though. And then when their grandchildren would graduate from high school, they would take them to meet their compassion child. Now they were also very wise. Everyone had to be in this hemisphere. <laughs> So all of these kids were in Central or South America to make it a little easier for grandma and grandpa to go see these kids. And they kept them in similar areas. They were very strategic about this. But I will tell you the rewards that were, that were reaped from, from doing this were extraordinary. It's a great way of using financial capital to bring spiritual and character capital. Um, and every one of you had an example at your table, or maybe you got an idea that's new for you. Uh, we're, hopefully, we're going to even gather the notes that I hope somebody took um, and maybe try to make them available to you, maybe take the greatest hits if we can put that together. So if you would just leave that in the middle of the table, we're going to collect those afterwards. But isn't that a great example of what Tim was talking about with scattering uh, and gathering? Um, so when you think about passing on wealth it isn't just this massive amount all at one time when you die. It starts now, using your wealth, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So now let's talk about how to think about how to, to process this with a little paradigm. And I call it the paradigm of transferable capital. And it's in your notes so here, and this is linear, this is processes through. If you don't believe any one of these, the dominoes start to fall. But if you do, the dominoes really fit pretty tightly. First of all, spiritual capital is necessary for the development of true character capital. And I really should put lasting, true and lasting character capital. 
because as you well know, all of us have the ability to appear to have character capital and it doesn't last. Next, a strong work ethic is usually necessary to build strong character capital. Now, I put the word usually in there because I am sure there's an exception lurking out there somewhere. I have never met that exception, okay? I've never met that exception. Next, if spiritual and character capital are strong and tested, it may be advisable to impart financial capital to someone. If spiritual and character capital are not strong and tested, it is typically not advisable to impart financial capital to someone. This goes right back to that Ecclesiastes 7 verse. It's just an application of this Ecclesiastes 7 verse. Now keep in mind, it is advisable to use financial capital, okay, for those who are not, not, their character is not strong and tested, you want to use, that's what we just talked about at our table, but passing on wealth to them is not a wise thing to do. Next, do no harm. This is crazy. This is a, this is a quote from Socrates. I think that Socrates had the book of Ecclesiastes. That's where I think this came from. What mean you fellow citizens that you turn every stone to scrape wealth together but take so little care of your children to whom one day you will relinquish it all? That's pretty good, isn't it? Um, For many folks in here, you can put the word spouse in place of the word children. Um, And uh, because if you are here and you are married, uh, especially for the men, the odds are your spouse is going to come behind you. And they need to be very well cared for in this process. So the big question really here is, is the next steward ready? Are you preparing the next, whoever the next steward is going to be? From a legal standpoint, if I'm the trustee of a trust and someone else takes my place as a successor trustee, I'm not held responsible for the acts of that successor trustee. I'm only responsible for the acts that I perform as the trustee. I'm not at all convinced that that's true with regards to passing on our wealth. I, I think that it's probably true, um, and if it's not true, Howard Dayton will come up to me afterwards and tell me. Um, <clears throat> I think that we are responsible for how successor trustees, successor stewards, uh, what they do with anything we pass on to them. I think we're going to be held responsible for that. And that's a pretty weighty thing, but that it, it just feels that that's right to me. Um, so it's pretty serious. All right, next one is ask hard questions. Ask hard questions. And here are the questions. Will this transfer of wealth build spiritual capital in my heirs, in whoever I would pass it on to? Will it build build character capital in my heirs? Will it negatively impact a strong work ethic in my heirs or whoever I'm passing wealth on to? And here's, here's a tough one. Will it increase their standard of living without them having to work for it? And finally, will it give Satan an opportunity to bring calamity? My personal experience with this last one is when, um, when after the matriarch and patriarch are gone, the calamity is usually between siblings. Wealth can do extremely bad things to siblings. Um, it just kind of magnifies the negative of wealth when there's siblings involved. <clears throat> So if you don't pass on values 
to those that you would pass on wealth, um, then you shouldn't pass on valuables. You got to get the values there first. I had a couple uh, that were clients years ago that um, were in business uh, together and they owned a growing number of Burger King stores. I don't know why they picked Burger King. They then went into other franchises together and they just kept going. Um, but I call them the Burger King questions because that's where their wealth was held. And, and these are questions that they brought to me in the process as they were thinking through this. And actually working with this couple kind of started me processing all of this stuff the way I've processed it. Here are the questions that they asked themselves. They were both, they were, I think they were both 45 years old. How much of your net worth, um, how much of our net worth did we receive as an inheritance before age 45? The answer, zero. Was the development of the work ethic that they had important to the development of their character? Without question. Were we given the opportunity to develop a strong work ethic prior to receiving an inheritance? And are we thankful for those years? And the answer was absolutely yes. And would we want to possibly deprive our kids of this important aspect of life? Now, their kids were both I would say middle school when I was working with them. And so they were already processing this uh, as we were having this conversation. It also brought up another issue that I want to just kind of throw out there as a bonus uh, that just came to mind. I want to encourage you, if you are a grandparent, be very, very careful passing on wealth to your grandchildren, circumventing their parents. That is very, very rarely a wise thing to do from a spiritual standpoint, it's almost always a wise thing to do from a tax planning standpoint. Our, our system is geared to jumping over parents. And yes, you will save taxes. There's no doubt about that. But it can really, really mess things up. The parents are responsible for their children. So giving wealth to kids can really wreck their relationship. That's just a bonus. Just a bonus. Yeah. All right, timing. Leave less rather than more early on. This, was a, this, this one I really felt that the Brenham family was really, really good at this, processing this. Um, they were very intentional, and you heard that in their testimony. And so I would encourage you to actually pass on wealth in small increments to those that are coming behind you that you think you may someday pass on significant wealth. And I would encourage doing it in all three buckets, give, save, and spend. I, I would encourage doing that. I would, I would give those that are coming behind you resources to give away. And as a family, you heard the Brennemans talk how they get together after Christmas. They talk about how they are doing their giving together. You can also do that with saving. It's very instructive to find out what, you're, what those coming behind you will do when you tell them, you can, here are some resources for you to invest. You can't spend them. I want you to go invest them. And you can watch what they do and how they do that huge learning opportunity in that world. And then finally, obviously, you can, you can give your children and grandchildren allowances if you want. Um, just make sure that if you're the grandparent that you're connecting with the parents before you do something like that. But it's a great training ground. Unfortunately, Charlie and Margie never did this. They didn't think they needed to. They actually just didn't think about it um, because they had such great kids. Um, and I will tell you the end of that story is that eventually they started having family meetings all the time 
after that first one. Uh, it really freaked out mom and dad. And um, today, it's a completely healthy relationship. All of the kids have apologized for the way they handled that, and so have their parents. So it has completely come full circle. Thankfully, that first meeting didn't happen when one of them was gone. That would have been a really, really big problem, if you understand what I'm saying. Okay. Necessities. We really shouldn't ask how much can we give our heirs. We should ask them how much do they need. They will, it will be much more fulfilling. You will feel much more confident if you process things. Advisors don't process things like that. They actually are trying to figure out what's the maximum amount we can get to whoever you want to pass it on to at the least tax cost. That's it. It's that simple. Um, that is not the way we need to think about all this. Next is contentment. Here's, here's our goal. We want to leave behind kids or anyone that we're going to pass on wealth to that are content whatever the circumstances. We don't want to do anything that causes discontent in those that we would give something to. That just doesn't make any sense at all. If our kids are productive and content, it almost doesn't matter how much we give them. If they are consumptive and discontent, we won't be able to give them enough. In other words, if they pass the test of Ecclesiastes 7, in fact, I've worked with more than one couple who rightly concluded that their children were going to be better stewards than they had been. So they actually started passing on their wealth to their kids early on, about the time their kids turned 45, just to watch how much better their children were handling the wealth than they had actually personally handled it themselves. That's kind of rare, but it, does, it can happen. And another thing is, is that once we fin uh, determine those finish lines, especially the balance sheet finish line, which is really important to figure out. So how much do we need? You know, we're, we're serving as the trustee of a trust. God is the trustor, right? He is the one who's put the resources in the trust. Interestingly enough, I believe he's the beneficiary as well. But during our lives, when we're serving as the trustee, we get to determine how much do we pay ourselves, during the time that we're the trustee. It's a very temporary job. Uh, it's gonna end, um, and at some point, it's all gonna go back to him, ultimately. And so, as we're thinking through these finish lines, the question is, once you figure out your finish lines, the next question is, how do we as wisely and quickly give away everything else? Everything else. And, um, it's just a fun challenge to think of. And it's, it's really hard to do. It takes a lot of work. And um, you probably need help figuring that out. The, we're getting towards the end. Here's one, the equality with great care. The question is not what is fair, but what is right. I'm going to ask you to pick up your notes now. Because this is so important. I'm going to read right out of the handout. The question, this is from Randy Alcorn. The question is not what is fair, but what is right. The real questions are, Will your children need your money? And the next question is, will your children use it wisely? Will they need it? Will they use it wisely? If the answer to the first question is no, then you should not feel compelled to leave it to them. If the answer to the second question is no, you should feel compelled not to leave it to them. If the answers markedly differ from child to child, you should deal differently with them according to those real differences. Not an easy thing to do. 
Not an easy thing to do. But I will ask you this. If you're going to kind of wimp out on this deal and you're going to give everything equally to everybody, I, I, would, I would encourage you to rethink that. Um, but if you are going to leave things unequally, please don't let that happen, the knowledge of that occur when you're dead. You talk about calamity. Getting your children or grandchildren in a room and then they find out that, you know, that Susie got this and Billy got two times this, you have just set up a, a huge quagmire for your family. So please, please don't do that. And finally, good candidates. At the end of life, if your kids don't want your money, they may be good candidates to receive it. What would your kids say if they heard you were going to give all you had to kingdom work? What would they say? How would they feel about that? It'll tell you a lot. I was in a family meeting that was facilitated by an excellent planner. And, um, and he really asked about the work ethic. Both the matriarch and the patriarch had incredible work ethics. Um, and so he asked them to tell their children, where did that come from? And they started telling things that the, that the kids, I think that the father actually said things that his wife had never heard before about his childhood uh, and the condition that he grew up in. He actually started to weep in this meeting. They had never seen the dad cry before. And he just started to weep as he was thinking about his childhood, which had significant poverty in it. And he just didn't like to tell that story. After they went through the process, one of the four children in the room who was a physician looked at their parents and said, I have no idea how much you want to leave me when you're gone, but I don't want it. In fact, I want you to figure out how much you're going to leave me, and I want you to go give it away right now. And I, after I met with the matriarch and the patriarch afterwards, and I said, man, that's the kind of kid that, that could really manage an inheritance well. Um, so, here's the final charge. Let's go scatter our wealth wisely. Thanks for letting me share with you.